most of you perhaps will have heard the news uh, over the last couple of weeks of the death of Eugene Peterson, who um, gave us the wonderful paraphrase of the Bible uh, with the message translation. And uh, I was just re-watching this morning Bono talking to him about the Psalms and just saying what a gift his interpretation had been to Bono as a lyricist and as somebody who longs to worship God in reality. And what the Psalms do is they bring to us someone who's emotionally authentic and alive. Some of us are on the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course here at Riverside. And one of the lovely things there is exploring the fact that David is probably the most emotionally healthy, mature person in the Bible. Now, we might look at this and think, really? And there are other Psalms that you might have read that you think, really? But actually, he is fully alive. He's in touch with his emotions, whether he's dancing naked before the troops. You can read that one if you want a little spoiler there. If he's, you know, raging at God or if he's dancing with joy as he is here. And I think that helps us enjoy prayer way more than a duty. This is not a psalm about duty. It's a psalm about enjoying God and enjoying prayer. And it begins really with rescue. Now, Forgive me for a moment, but um, a, a couple of days ago, I, um, I was privileged to watch Saving Lives at Sea. Now, I don't know what that says about me, um, but I found it a really moving programme. It's one of these ones tucked away on uh, BBC One, and it's all about lifeboats. Um, and everyone's thinking, really, have you not got something better to do? And that may well be true. But it was celebrating what these guys do. And they had one of the storms at the Irish Sea, a famous storm. They had this boat literally about to go over and the people on it about to die. And into the, into the horizon or onto the horizon comes this tiny orange dot and it grows closer and closer and on it are the heroic men and women of the RNLI, of the, um, um, say, of the um, lifeboat service. And as they come, they line the boat up really carefully so that one guy, one really brave, quite young and inexperienced guy actually, can step on to the craft in peril. And he jumps in, and you actually, I mean, it's incredible that they managed to film it. He jumps into this boat where people are facing death. And he's this young lad, and he says, hello, everybody all right, in the most calm manner. And they look at him like, do you not realise where we were and what you've done in appearing? And they're really emotional, and they say, what's the cost of this? You know, they say, how do we pay you? And he says, well, I work for the RNI, you know, I'm a volunteer here. But they said, but we, we want to thank you. We want to thank you. And so it goes on. I found myself really moved by the fact, I obviously was thinking ahead to this talk and thinking what mercy looks like in my life, what it looks like in your life. And have we forgotten that we were that boat in peril? And maybe some of us feel we still are, I don't know. But we were that one crying out, is there anybody there who can help me? King David did it, saying, is there anyone there? Because my life is heading for the rocks. My life is heading towards death. And then into that horizon comes the hope of Jesus Christ, comes his rescue. But not only that, he doesn't line up and just coast alongside. Somebody gets off, risks their life and jumps onto that boat and says, I'm here for you. And that's what Jesus has done. Now, you might think, well, there's nothing new there, but there has to be something new there. 
<clears throat> because if we're going to enjoy this faith that we have, if we're going to enjoy prayer as we're devoting ourselves to, there is something daily that needs to resonate with us to think, hang on a minute, I was on that ship and you came for me. I was headed for death, as David says here, and you came for me and you risked your life and you lost your life for me. And suddenly prayer doesn't become so much of a duty, does it, anymore? And that's tough because if we're a bit more mature in years or we've been with the Lord for a long time, we perhaps start to forget the astounding, amazing grace that found us. It's found every one of us. And we may look at David and think, well, he really messed up. If we know the story in 2 Samuel, we know that, and if you don't, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting one. David is, is back from war. He's, he's a little bit bored, maybe. Uh, he's, it's in the night, he's pacing around, and he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof, and he thinks, she's beautiful. And he thinks, I want her to be mine. His kingly reign, he's used to having what he wants. So he sees her, he tries to arrange to have her, to sleep with her, which he does. And then word gets to him um, that she is pregnant. Now her husband, Uriah, is away at war. And David even arranges to cover up his sin by getting Uriah to come back and thinking if the husband sleeps with her, then the story will be covered up. And if the baby comes, everyone think it was Uriah's. But Uriah Uriah is a godly man. He doesn't sleep with Bathsheba because he says, hang on, my troops are away at war. I'll sleep by the door. I'm not going to do that. And so his plan fails, so much so that he has to actually sort it that Uriah is sent back off to war on the front line, that people retreat and that he is killed. So he's guilty, not just of lustful thoughts, but of adultery and then plotting, trying to cover up and then murder. And into that comes this psalm. So you can understand what he means when he says, my bones were rotting, when I was dying, when I was like, you know, living in the heat of summer. We can actually resonate with what he says. So as we look at this beautiful prayer, if you like, this psalm of praise, we're reminded again, as we have in our booklets, and if you haven't already read this quote, I absolutely love it. Uh, Prayer is not something we master, but an act that forms us, a friendship we deepen and a practice that frees us. And I love that last bit. It's a practice that frees us, that sets us free, as somebody prayed so beautifully earlier on, that we come at this from freedom, that we share freedom together, and that prayer is part of that, not a duty, but a relationship. Uh, This is a quote from Martin Luther uh, back in 1517. He said this, work, work from early till late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Anyone feel daunted by that? Yes. We don't like him very much at this point, do we? We sort of think, hang on a minute, Martin Luther, don't set the bar that high. Um, And we start to spiral. But here's what he also wrote. Your high opinion of me shames and tortures me, since unfortunately I sit here like a fool and hardened in leisure. I pray little, I do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in lust, in laziness, leisure and sleepiness. And watching programmes about lifeboats. So... As we look at that, suddenly we lift a little bit and we think, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, he got this. He understood that prayer was the work, that that is how God's going to grow us and grow his kingdom, that there's nothing else, that that is the power that we have and the relationship we have. But he also said, the flesh is strong. 
I get it wrong. I get weary in it. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm fed up with it. My prayers don't get answered. I'm going to just stop doing it for a while. And we've all been there, haven't we? Maybe you're there today. I want to just quickly tell you something, which I wasn't going to, but as we were praying, I just felt led to... um, Quite recently, some of you know that somebody cursed me publicly on my street and said that my reputation would die in my city, that I would never work again and that our church would die. And she said that out in front of my front door as a curse over my life. And I want to say to you that my prayer life has gone completely (laughs) different to how it was before that happened. I think it had got a bit sleepy, if I'm honest. But I had prayer, obviously, after that, because I was terrified. And, um, you know, our trustees and different people laid hands on me, and we, we said, no, we don't accept that curse for a church. We don't accept it for Judy. But I was really bricking it, absolutely bricking it. Not that my reputation is particularly large in the city, by the way. I was like, I don't think anyone knows who I am. But... Um, it was, it was a really, really traumatic experience. But out of it has come, prayer's been like oxygen for me in the last few weeks. It's not been a question of, do I get up and pray? It's been a question of, I can't help but pray. And actually, through that incident, there was um, a whole host of things involved where God has poured his mercy into my life, shocked me with the generosity of of love and people. So I say that because the enemy is defeated. There's an example of the freedom that we've just heard about, the freedom that David knew. Because what happens next in the story is that Nathan the prophet comes and finds David in all of his sinning, and he says, you'll rumble, mate. You'll rumble, he doesn't actually say that in the book of Samuel. But he says, you're rumbled. All of your covering up isn't going to cut it. God sees, he knows the destruction of your heart. So let's look a little bit at this psalm to find our uh, rejoicing. The psalm says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous sing, all you who are upright in heart. In other words, we have this righteousness, therefore we can sing. We're not looking for it, trying to gain it. If we believe in Jesus, he jumped on the boat to save us. We are those people who can sing. He doesn't look like he's singing very much to see, but there we go. So we looked, if you like, at a tale of two people. We looked at at a man who said, you know, I can't help but pray for three hours a day, but then said, my flesh is strong, I can't do it. And we have a similar tale here in the psalm. David begins by saying, blessed is the one whose transgressions, his sins, the things he gets wrong forgiven, whose sins are covered. Why does he say that? Because he tried in human terms to cover up his sins, but he has found that actually when Nathan the prophet comes, he says, God's rumbled you, but guess what? He's covered your sin with his love. Now, Jesus hasn't come yet, so that is radical news for King David It's radical because he's used to the, you'll pay for that, you'll pay for that, like the lifeboats, there'll be a cost to this. And actually he says, no, blessed is that man because the Lord doesn't count his sin against him. And whose spirit is no deceit? And can I put in a plea here? If we have a Sunday smile and a Sunday posture of I've got it all sussed, 
We will not have an authentic community that I believe that this church really wants and needs. If we can't say, as somebody beautifully did to me this week, I'm having an absolute nightmare and I don't know what is going on, then that's not authentic. There will be times, there have, trust me, been times in my life where I've said, have we got all this wrong? And God has come in and said, categorically not, through a whole variety of ways. And if that's you today, like David, just pray that God will show his mercy, show his love to you. But we need to be real. And actually what David is saying, that deceit in his life led to depression. Now I'm not talking about clinical depression here. I'm talking about guilt that eats away at us. And we might all have some of that even today. The guilt that eats away at us. And he basically says, he said that, There is no deceit in Jesus, but it had been eating him away. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Prayer is about confession. And what that does is it keeps us mature, alive Christians. I think sometimes when I first became a Christian, I thought, oh, we do all the repenting now, and then you become like those people who are really godly and don't need to repent. So I'm in phase one, and I felt I was there for quite a long time because discipleship was quite... Quite, you know, intense for my first few years as a Christian. Um, And I thought, oh, and then you move to those people over there who are kind of the mature ones who don't need to repent. Now, that is categorically wrong. A sign of a mature Christian is that we mature through repentance. Tim Keller talks about that in his brilliant book, The King's Cross, that actually it's a daily act. It's a discipline when we're on our bikes, when we're running, when we're walking, when we're dropping the kids off, wherever we are, that is just able to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I'm free. Thank you that those chains are no longer around me. And he describes a life that I think when we look at the world and when we look at our lives, there's a lot of that around people feeling bowed down in church and out of church. You know, John Ortberg talks about joyless life and he says joyless life leads us to temptation. And, And we see that with David. He got caught hopping, he got caught napping, if you like, and that's what happened to him. And here's our lovely man again enjoying life. You won't enjoy God if you take yourself too seriously. I enjoy that. I like that. I think one thing that I know for me, God spoke to me early on in in life, have a free and light spirit and don't take yourself too seriously. That actually we can laugh at some of this stuff. We can cheer each other on. We don't have to have the Sunday face that says, I've got this. There's that quote from Wartburg, nothing leads us to give in to temptation so much as a joyless life. That we keep that joy alive, how? Many times through confession, through saying, do you know what, I was on a boat that was going to death and now I'm actually rescued for life, life in all its fullness. David goes on to say, then I acknowledged my sin to you and I didn't cover up my iniquity I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of all my sin. Uh, I recently um, 
was listening to a podcast by Voice of the Martyrs, who some of you will know I was working on recently with, um, in Korea. And Voice of the Martyrs are a very, very trusted source of some of these stories, as others here will tell you. And they sent through this testimony uh, of a man called Abraham. And good name, isn't it, really? And uh, he uh, was working as an evangelist and uh, has a, a real ministry in Iraq as an evangelist, uh, sharing hope uh, there in that country. And he was just going wherever the Lord sent him and sharing the good news of the gospel. And he found that actually... Um, he got more and more well-known in the area, that people knew him as this sort of guy that had come from a refugee camp and had gone out and just started sharing the good news of Jesus. And so much so that news reached Syria and ISIS sent an assassin across because he was on their hit list to actually say, we've got to get this guy to shut up. We've got to get him stopping talking about this good news because so many people were coming to faith. And they sent this man, and this man came, uh, and uh, he was called Fadi, and uh, he was uh, in the area where Abraham was. Abraham had a family and children and uh, had been warned many times, you might want to tone it down a bit because you've got kids. You might want to just, you know, people are getting to hear about the work that you're doing. But he refused to because he believed that God had spoken to him one day and said, I choose how many days you will live your life. It's in my book, so you go out and share the gospel. And he's out one day, and Fadi, dressed in black, coming with a big sword, um, runs, actually runs towards Abraham. And what Abraham does is incredibly courageous. He basically walks towards him instead of away from him, and he says, you are driven by the prince of demons, but Jesus is going to set you free. And as he shouts that, you imagine, I mean, I can't even imagine it, the fear of it. Someone running towards him, he shouts that, and the guy falls to the ground. The sword is on the ground, and he basically says, have mercy on me. And he calls out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham says, what have you come here for? And he says, I've come here for the forgiveness of a saviour. Now, he hadn't. He'd come to kill him. You know, and, and we, we don't hear these stories. They don't make the headlines. They're not on news at 10. They're not, you know, but actually the voice of the martyrs are people working with stories like this many, many times. But the media want to repress them. Why? Because it shakes us up, doesn't it? We think if this is who God really is, if he's alive and well and bringing people from ISIS to repentance, he can save me, a sinner. And my sins actually you know, to him are equal to that. And yet his love can and will find us, has found us if we believe and trust in him. Michael Reeves says, if your prayer life is a bit ropey, I suggest starting again by stammering like a child to a father. Cry for help. Don't try to be impressive. Now, I like that because sometimes in small groups or in life groups, there can be somebody who seems brilliant at praying and we think, oh, they're so good at praying. 
keep quiet. And that really is not what prayer is about. Prayer is about you and your communication with God, not the next person nor the next person. And I love that about crying for help. This is, um, some of you know, um, Charlie's illustrations. We did a video years ago, didn't we, for Alpha? But he's done this. I sent this to a few people last week because there was a lot going on. What is the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. And I know that's not from Ephesians. <laughs> you know, it's just a cartoon by a guy called Charlie. But isn't that what prayer is sometimes? The bravest thing that we can say sometimes is, help me. Help me, Jesus, in this situation. Help me, a sinner who needs to be reminded that you love me. That your grace is sufficient for me. That your mercy will and has found me. I will instruct you and teach you, says the psalm, in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, who have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And this is a lovely bit, I think, for those of us who feel a bit duty-led all the time. The picture I have of the mule is kind of very bowed down and duty-led, the horse or the mule controlled by the bit. And actually David's, you know, in a way he's saying that's not freedom. That actually what he has found is the freedom to know that he's fully forgiven. That he's not praying out of duty, that he's not communing with the Father through that, but actually through an amazing sense of freedom. A.J. Sherrill says, the practice of prayer is always an act of surrender, a confession of inadequacy, To not pray then is to say to God, I've got this. Isn't that brilliant? How many times have we done that? How many times this week have we done that? It's all right, God, step away, please. I've got this. I don't need your help here. This is me going in, Superman, Superwoman. I've got this and this and this. And suddenly we know we haven't. And actually, as we come into his presence, we start to realize, I need your mercy I need your forgiveness, first and foremost, before anything else. And the reason for that is because we are sinners saved by grace. We are beggars showing each other where to find bread. And believe me, I was in a mess, as some of you know. And this grace found me, age 19, on a beach in Cromer. And I've been living that freedom ever since. And so if you're not yet a believer, if you haven't yet found this mercy, it is for you. If you feel like your life is going swimmingly, the funny thing is with my programme, if I can just indulge again, because I'm quite fond of it now, um, the funny thing is with the programme is they set off in beautiful sunshine. They said, we can't get this. It was beautiful an hour ago. You know, the Irish Sea for you. But, but it really was beautiful. And we don't know what lies around the corner, not in a fear-mongery way, but we don't when we look at our world, look at what's happened just this week in our Jewish community. There's horrific things going on in the world. And we're hitting things all the time, but we have a rescuer, a rescuer called Jesus. His very name means rescuer. And if you're finding prayer difficult, and I'm going to come to a close with this, um, there's something that um, Tim's taught me, actually. Tim Chill was there, one of our other leaders. Um, he does this a lot um, in that he, if he's cycling or whatever, uses just this prayer 
as a little thing to kind of connect with God. He just says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He didn't think that up. It was somebody else's prayer. But he uses it. And I swim on on Monday mornings, um, and I've been thinking, oh, that's something that I can do as I'm doing my my lanes, my 20 feeble lengths. I I can just pray that. It's not rocket science, but actually it's making me start the day saying, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And what does that do? It will make me more gracious to those I meet. Why? Because I start knowing that I, you know, I haven't got this. <laughs> but God has. He has got me. So we're going to come to a time of communion, and I thought it would be appropriate that we actually do um, the act of praying together, but we use liturgy. Uh, There is a humility in liturgy. Maybe some of you grew up with it and lots of written prayers that you recited and you just think, oh, I've come here to get away from that. I I don't want that. And that's fine. I didn't grow up with it and I'm discovering it and loving it because there's a humility to it that says, if somebody else has written it, I can pray it without thinking I'm really great (laughs) or, you know, I got that wrong. Some of the things that we talk about, we can pray it together uh, as fellow people relying on this mercy. So I'll just read it and then maybe we'll stand and respond together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault in thought and word and deed and in what we've left undone. (laughs) Pause. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past. Let's just think about that. It's pretty amazing, the covering of the grace of Christ. And grant that we may serve you in newness of life that joyful enjoying God, to the glory of your name. Amen. So Susie and the band are going to come back up. They've got a song for us as we respond. But I wonder if you'd just stand with me. And shall we say this prayer? And apologies if you know it better than me and you grew up saying it. But let's try and almost say it as if it's the first time. As if we're David, you know, as if we we actually have just been rescued off that, that ship in peril. And we're saying, oh my goodness, Jesus, you've got me. Let's say it together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you through our own fault in thought and word and deed and in what we have left undone. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen.